This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now here are your hosts, clinical health psychologist, Dr. Kelly Donahue and nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. Hello, everyone. We are so happy today to be joined by Michael Collins. He's the founder of sugaraddiction.com and is the board chairman of Food Addiction Institute. He has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years. That's right, folks, three, zero, 30 <laughs> years, and has worked closely with others to help them regain their lives that have been ravaged by this addictive product. Michael, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I would love for you to kind of start off telling us about your story and how you became interested in eliminating sugar. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, like I said, I have the podcast version. It's kind of a shorter version of the, I mean, a lot of times it uh, brings up more questions than it answers. But the the short version is I, I grew up as a regular kid and, you know, sugar was all around. My mother was my favorite sugar junkie. And uh, there's a great video on YouTube, Eric Clapton on it is a $6 million Antigua treatment center being interviewed by 60 minutes and Ed Bradley and Ed Bradley says, so Eric, this addiction thing all started with heroin and Eric Clapton says, no, it started with sugar. So I was eating bread and butter sandwiches when I was six years old, anything that I could stuff in my face to change my state. Now I didn't realize that at the time, but we used to eat bread and butter sandwiches and we used to have Kool-Aid with three times the Kool-Aid, three times the sugar in it. And so I just grew up as a regular kid. My mother had it around the house. Anyway, fast forward to 14 or 15, I discovered beer and changing my state went to a whole new level. And this podcast is not about that, but at 28, I got sober. And what I realized when I got sober that in hindsight now is that I actually was, uh, I just substituted more sugar after I got sober. And so Everyone around me in recovery was gaining, not the freshman 15 like you gain in college, but they were literally gaining 50 pounds, getting diabetes diagnosis. I mean, they were, and it was just a sugar smorgasbord, a caffeine smorgasbord, a a nicotine smorgasbord. And it was, you know, so I started studying it and uh, I just, there wasn't much literature out there. There was one book, Sugar Blues. I don't know if you've heard of this book, but it's a great book. Your audience might love it. It's uh, this guy was at a party one time and uh, he heard a voice from behind him. He was getting two lumps of coffee, two lumps of sugar for his coffee. And he said, voice says, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body. Right. And uh, it was Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. So he ends up writing a book about, uh, sugar and sugar blues, very popular uh, in the uh, early, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, and I, I, I somehow God put it in my head that, you know, I was supposed to know this information or whatever. So I ended up raising a couple of sugar-free kids from the womb till they were six years old. And I went on to have a regular career. I mean, in business and real estate and online and stuff. And um, I just, about eight or nine years ago, I picked up the domain and uh, sugaraddiction.com and I just started uh, teaching folks this stuff. And I, one of the things that's interesting is that for the first six or eight years, six or seven years, I would give the best information, but people wouldn't get well. It wasn't until we started having support groups and um, actually one-on-one coaching that people changed their behavior. So 
that's the short version. That's how I got here. That's where I how I ended up. You know, as the, as the I didn't sign up to be the anti candy man. Put it that way. I just <laughs> the research in the last five years has exploded, and now I can't deny it anymore. And the kids are what the next generation is is really what hurts my heart. So that's why I'm doing the work I do. Oh, that's such a great story, and it's clear why it was so powerful for you and why it led you to this point. I would love it if if you could talk some more about sugar in particular, kind of what it does to our brain and body and, and how it can be a gateway drug. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And uh, I like to, you know, differentiate my view of both the sugar as it uh, decimates us and the sugar as we recover. And it's real simple. You know, Vince Lombardi used to start his talks at the beginning of the year, his coaching things. He won the first two Super Bowls for the people that don't know. With this is a football, you know, it's like the basics. And the basics are that sugar, the drug sugar is 50% fructose and 50% glucose, right? And we all know what glucose is doing to the body. It's been pretty much researched for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, diabetes and heart disease, a lot of other maladies that people are pretty aware of, obesity and weight gain and all that kind of stuff. But what's less unknown in, in the public is the brain research that's happened in the last five years um, about the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, oxytocin, even the adrenal glands have been um, researched. And it's really uh, the eminent uh, researcher, Dr. Robert Lustig says, we have discovered the offending molecule and it is fructose. And fructose affects the brain's reward systems, right? It's what gets you the, it's the reason you can't quit. And it's the reason that people have a difficulty. And the reason I believe that sugar and, you know, sugar should be named as a substance use disorder, not a health problem, not an exercise problem, not a calorie problem, but a problem with the dose dependency of the fructose hitting your brain reward systems. It's the same exact reward systems on MRIs that it, that cocaine and, and heroin and alcohol hit, um, and it lights the brain up the same way. And when you give this ingredient to a very small child, it's literally grooving new neural pathways so that when there's stress, when there's, you know, sugar is a perfect drug to relax you, to calm you, to soothe you, right? Make the world okay just for a few minutes. And so when we groove these neural pathways from the literally since you were a baby or maybe in the womb and you're playing with your brain reward systems, this is the reason people can't quit. And people have tried every diet and quit the white stuff, but they cannot seem to put this little thing behind them. So that's that's my take on it. I like to separate the stuff we do with other folks because everybody that has a sugar detox and a sugar talks about sugar is in the health industry and telling you to exercise more and reduce your sugar intake. But if you have, you know, your brain reward systems linked to a neural pathway, this white substance, you're not going to change until you figure out what that's all about and how to change that habit. So based on what you just said, and I'm in complete agreement with everything you were saying, you know, I always kind of affectionately refer to sugar as like legalized um, 
you know, legalized opiates, legalized, sure. um, you know, drugs, uh, because it's so proliferative uh, and the, and it's so accessible, meaning it's in everything. It's in our condiments. It's in things that we don't think about um, as salad dressings, you know, things that seem relatively benign. But I'm curious, you know, it's the start of the new year. We're still in the month of January, although it's the last day. And so January 1st is when a lot of people start with um, New Year's resolutions. And for a lot of people, they decide they're going to do a whole 30 or they're going to, you know, kick out processed, um, processed foods. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you refer to as sugar's revenge and why the average, you know, short-term detox seems to actually make cravings worse and not mm-hmm. better? You know, that's a great question. Thank you. I, I mean, basically, <laughs> it's a little bit of my pet peeve. And, I, and look, first, let me qualify this. that I love all the sugar educators out there. I'm a firm believer, and this is a long story. I'm not going to get into it, in multiple pathways to recovery. It's it's a something that's going on in the substance use disorder world. It's like stigma reduction and helping more people be aware of what's going on so we can get people off opioids and all of the drugs. But in our world, everything in the sugar detox world, as I mentioned earlier, is attached to the health uh, coaching and health world and workout world, right? So every trainer and diet book uh, writer has this uh, sugar detox, three days, five days, seven days, 10 days, 14 days, 21 days, 28 days. They have 30 days. They have all these ch- these detoxes, right? And what they do is, you know, they want you to reduce or quit or eliminate sugar for this period of time, right? And then they disappear, right? And then they're like, well, now you just go to the gym and exercise. And now you just keep your sugar a little bit less, Right. Well, if that were the case, then the recidivism numbers, which are lore, literally like famous in the in the research and the annals of peer-reviewed uh, literature, where when someone loses a substantial amount of weight, like uh, 50, 80, 100 pounds or more, or even a little bit of weight, 95, 90 plus percent of the time, they gain it all back within the first year and then some. And what that is, is very simply when they do it, it doesn't matter what book, you mentioned the whole 30 or or South Beach or Atkins, it doesn't matter what they do. 95% of all great diet books say reduce or quit the white stuff. And very simply, if you are able to, which very few people are without help or support, to go 100% abstinent of sugar and flour, you don't even need to exercise. You don't need to have any calorie deficit or calorie reduction, any of that crap. All you need to have is the elimination of sugar and father and your body will fall to a normal size weight. But the problem comes when people muscle through those detoxes, all of them, they get to, okay, let's just say it's the 30 day. When they get past day 30, their support system goes away. They stop doing it. They stop thinking about it and they revert right back to their old neural pathways, which have been grooved since they were children. Right. And when stress comes up or something from the past starts to come up that you used to deal with by eating stress comes up, you go right back to your old patterns. And so it's not that it's, I think it's almost dangerous because it's, creating yo-yo dieting because later in the year, they'll do the same thing. They'll do a detox, they'll lose some weight, they'll be healthy. And then all of a sudden they'll go back when the stress comes back. And people just aren't aware that this cycle is happening. Well, first of all, they're not aware why it's happening. And they're not giving sugar the respect that it should have as a psychoactive drug that's helping them 
uh, feel a little bit better about themselves and has uh, grooved a neural pathway that that says stress, sugar, stress, sugar. Instead of stress, take a walk, stress, go to yoga, stress, get a hug, stress, meditate, stress, pray, uh, stress, sleep. It says stress, sugar, and we go right back to where we were. I hope that made uh, made some sense there. But I, I, I'm adamant about it. It's getting to the point where I believe it's pretty much the only message I got to get out there is that they got to understand what's happening to them to fix what's happening to them. And I think that's really valuable that, you know, we've used that as this, you know, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. You know, we have this condition response in our brain. So something goes on, we we go to sugar instead of finding a healthier alternative. And it's not to suggest for anyone that's listening that we aren't of the mindset that it's moderation, not deprivation. But for people that really struggle with sugar addiction, and I have many of them as my patients, and I'm sure Kelly does as well. And obviously, Michael has worked with many of these individuals. You know, it, it's kind of like, and I, I'm not in any way comparing alcoholism to sugar addiction, but very much. For I alcoholic. will if you want. I'm not afraid, okay. but go ahead. Okay, you go. <laughs> you, you, I'm going to let you you um, you kind of jump on that. But uh, much like for the alcoholic, they can't just have another drink. I mean, it has to be complete abstinence. And I find for many of these women that I'm working with, uh, they really can't have that indulgence. Whereas I can do that. Kelly can do that. I can have a piece of chocolate and leave it and move on to something else. Um, they, they are unable to do that. It has such a strong hold on them, probably psychologically, physically, and, and spiritually, but it has become their go-to mechanism for dealing with stress or for dealing with frustration or a reward system of, oh, I had a really great day or really great month. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to have this huge piece of chocolate cake. And while I'm eating it, I'm going to feel okay. And then afterwards, I'm going to feel horribly. And they just start this vicious cycle. And so, um, you know, I, I think unfortunately sugar is thought of as being so completely benign, but I 100% agree with you that it becomes a huge and enormous problem for most, if not all people, I call it the monkey on the back. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, 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 you're, I gotta tell you, you're both, you know, more advanced than 80% of the podcasts I go on because they're some kind of health educator and they don't draw this correlation. They don't think about people don't, you know, they haven't thought deeply about it or they haven't had the experience or whatever. Um, they're in this calorie deficit world where they just think if they can have, you know, they have a certain amount of sugar if they are in the gym every day or every other day, whatever. And that's just not the case. And you, you outlined it perfectly. Some people, the research now is, you know, it's all over uh, the Food Addiction Institute, which I'm the chairman of the board of. It's the, you know, Nicole Avina, Dr. Lustig is about a third of the people are biochemically unable to process this product in their body without setting up huge cravings for more of it and more of it, right? And about a third of people are kind of on the fence. They could go either way. They're like a binge drinker in, in college who wakes up and says enough and that's it. They're done, you know, and they may have gained 20 or 30 pounds. And when they put the stuff down, 
they they go right back to normal and when they when they're aware they go right back to normal and then they can indulge once in a while and then there's that third of people who can just take it or leave it we all hate but you know <laughs> but a third of people literally bio and, and then it's so funny because the and this is not necessarily you, you don't necessarily have to be obese to be a sugar addict you can be a very thin sugar addict but <laughs> the obesity numbers mirror those numbers that i described a third of people are, are obese a, a Two thirds are overweight, and a third of that, a third of the whole population is obese. So, models it perfectly, um, and it's just, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a, a long fight. If you, I don't, I think it is a fight. I, I try to not think of it that way, but it's a long process. Put it that way to educate folks of this tectonic shift that's happening, like smoking or condoms in bathrooms or drinking and smoke, you know, uh, drinking and driving, seatbelts in cars, that this little, like you mentioned, innocuous little substance that you can give to a one-year-old needs to have as much attention mental health-wise as other drugs of addiction, right? That it is a psych, true psychoactive, I'll bet a little bit subtle. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk free. They have a 365 day full money back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. I've been using MitoPure for the last two years, and I've added this to my routine for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a foundational supplement for me and my family. It keeps things simple, and I know that I cannot get enough of urolithin A in my food to derive the same benefits. And if you're not familiarized with urolithin A, it's a signaling molecule, but it's also actively involved in anti-aging, energy production. And I take Timeline because of its remarkable remarkable healthy aging solution that activates key critical cellular pathways in my body. It's a total game changer for healthy aging. I alternate between using the soft gels and powder depending on whether or not I'm traveling. And we know that restoring cellular energy is a key to enduring health. And this is concluded in a recent publication in Nature Metabolism, which is a top scientific journal 
identifying that newly energized cells may provide many more years of healthy life to people. Yet as we age, we know that cellular energy production naturally declines and reduces our prospects of optimal health and longevity. That's the great thing about Timeline is you can restore cellular energy and support healthy aging. I've noticed the biggest improvements in my energy and sleep levels. We know that Timeline is clinically shown to give our cellular energy generators, the mitochondria, new power. And when taken daily, it replaces aging mitochondria. So it upregulates mitophagy and rebuilds new ones or mitogenesis. Timeline is the only nutrient that can do what it does. So Timeline renews your cells to a more powerful state. My listeners can get 10% off your first order at timeline.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off at timeline.com dot com slash Cynthia. I know you're going to love this product. You know, by the time you reach adulthood, you're not long, no longer getting that buzz that all the kids get when the party stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. You are just fighting off withdrawals. You are just in the, you're just so you don't have, because anybody that's done it knows that in days three to five, you're literally incapacitated. If you try to do sugar, flour, and caffeine at the same time, you're done. You can't, you're not going to be able to work. So people like ingest just enough to get through the meeting, ingest stuff to get the kids to school, that kind of stuff. And they never make it to the other side. So anyway, I'm on my soapbox. Sorry, I I do sometimes. I get get on my soapbox. I I won't do it anymore. (laughs) No, but I think it's really valuable because Kelly and I can say this, but our listeners hear it all the time, but it's really valuable to have you as an expert talking about this so they hear it from someone else. There's so much value in the work that you're doing. And so we're very grateful to have you on today. Thank you. Yeah. I love one of the, well, I love all the things that you've been saying, but one of the things that really resonates with me and something that I talk about with my clients all the time is that physiology trumps logical thought every time. Mm. So this physiology that occurs, not only when the sugar comes in, it's, it's just going to occur like you said, in the breakout of people, it occurs slightly differently, but in most people, it's going to occur in some way. So we have that physiology occurring. And then we have these neuronal connections that get paired in this reward system that those two things are the things that keep this going. So even though we get the messages that sugar is bad, we shouldn't eat sugar, our physiology takes over that logical thought. A hundred percent. I mean, you can't, uh, Dr. Lessig says it all the time, you can't outrun your biology. You you can't uh, outrun your actual physical biology. I mean, no matter how hard you try, willpower is is a fantasy when you're talking about, I mean, just ask any addict of any kind. And one of the things that I've dealt with, you know, just because of my background and that I come at this because as as an addictive scientist, if you will, in addiction recovery and Anyone that's ever you've ever talked to who's in the uh, a twelve step food program or has recovered from food addiction or sugar addiction will tell you. And one of the craziest things happened to me about my parent. My parents were still alive, and I didn't really want to go public. But I went public with my substance use disorder stuff about two years ago, right? And I got this insane flood into the 
uh, into a client, my client base of people who were in recovery, who had already quit alcohol and drugs and hard drugs, you know, as people call them, quote unquote, hard drugs, which is crazy because sugar is a hard drug in my book. Uh, they'd quit hard drugs, but they could not put down the sugar. They knew a lot about it. They'd been to a lot of meetings about it. They knew addiction. They knew what was going on. They had friends in the 12-step food recovery programs, but they still could not put down the sugar. I'm talking 5, 10, 15, 20 years sober, never touched a drug, never touched a drink, and they still could not put down the sugar. So that and they tell you to a man, to a woman, when they got on the other side, they said that sugar was harder to put down. And I suspect because of the societal pressure and the societal acceptance of sugar over 300 years, it's indoctrination into the culture as something you can give to a one-year-old and that you know, candy stores. And I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the food now, 80% of the food. So that enculturation, that, that, you know, it's, it's norm, it's a norm, right. That has to, like I said, with the tectonic shifts, seatbelts and cars and drinking and driving and stuff, it has to be moved slowly. It's going to be a slow burn to change that behavior or that thought process. And the only canaries in the coal mine right now are the people who have done it, lost a hundred pounds, kept it off for years. And will tell you exactly what you just said is that I couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't just take a little because every time I took a little, I was off on a run. It's really, it's enlightening because in my clinical experience as a nurse practitioner, uh, I found that many former addicts of illicit drugs, you know, the things that are are not legal, uh, became profound sugar junkies. That's what I, I used to talk to them about it very openly. And they would remind me, they were like, I just replaced one drug with another, except this one I can, I can walk around <laughs> with and no one's feeling uncomfortable. But yet it, it reflects a societal shift and acceptance about the rise of the processed food industry. I'm curious, have you read the book, Sugar, or sorry, Salt, Sugar, Fat? I book? absolutely have. I love that book. Um, for any of my, any of our listeners, it is a book that changed my life. I say this as a healthcare provider. I always have like my top five, but that's one of my top five. It made me so angry to realize that these food scientists develop these foods, they call it the bliss point, mm -hmm. to make it as sugary as possible, as addictive as possible. There's food science behind all of these processed foods. Yep. And so if you can do nothing else for your health, eat less processed food. I mean, that alone can be hugely beneficial, but look at every ingredient list. There are you know 50 plus names for sugar and they're sneaky. Like my children love gelato. That's kind of like their thing. And they're both competitive athletes. They're, you know, they're very healthy weights, but I will occasionally buy gelato for them. And so my youngest was reading the food label and said, look, mom, there's no sugar in it. And I said, buddy, the first ingredient is dextrose. I said, that's another name for sugar. So half the process for those that are listening is recognizing sneaky names for sugar that the food manufacturers like to use to make us think we aren't eating exactly what it is. A hundred percent. That was a great book, Michael Moss, uh, that bliss point stuff, the scientist, it just blew my mind. That was just, and, you know, theoretically, if you're in a movement, you're supposed to create an enemy, right? And <laughs> I would love to create the processed food industry as the enemy. Um, but I don't know that um, it would be like the alcoholics trying to create the 
alcohol and wine business as the enemy. I mean, we had to take personal responsibility um, and, but know in your audience because they're advanced, know that you have an enemy on the other side of the fence, that they're trying to keep you on this stuff. And so, you you know, don't, uh, don't just take it willy nilly. Don't just, uh, be carefree about it. Read the labels. I mean, I'm not a big even box. Anything comes in a box bag, can, whatever. I, I, I try and steer people away from, you know, try and get Whole Foods or shop on the outside of the grocery store because you mentioned it earlier and I, this has been, I've had what I call over the years accidental ingestations and what accidental ingestations are where you go to a dinner party, right? And this has got this beautiful homemade salad dressing and you ask the host, uh, are you sure there's no sugar in this? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, no sugar, no sugar. And then you, you know, put it on your salad. And then all of a sudden you got this buzz, like you just drank two martinis and you don't drink, right? <laughs> and you're like, what the hell just happened? And you say, what are the ingredients? This is good salad dressing. You know, you don't want to shame them or anything. Right? And they say, oh, I put agave in there. I'm like, oh, oh okay. the worst. <laughs> agave is like 60, 70, 80% fructose, right? It's the stuff that really lights you up. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff they make tequila out of, right? So, yeah, I, uh, I, I agree, man. You got you to gotta know that uh, the food scientists are trying to make... And the bliss point is like they try and make it not. This is an interesting thing that happens when you quit sugar. When you actually re-ingest sugar, it just tastes looky syrupy sweet. You know, like you'll you'll eat something that's syrupy or sweet, even when you're on the stuff, it'll be too sweet, right? Well, the scientists they got to get that point. They got to balance it so the most amount of people think it's just perfect, right? And so yeah, but you know, just as a future for your folks if they ever decide this, you know. Uh, like berries, uh, a piece of fruit will taste so sweet to you after you quit the process. Hi all, it's Kelly. I wanted to jump in and talk about CBD. I'm sure by now you've heard us or other people talk about the benefits of using CBD oil and related products. And I'm telling you that it definitely works and the research is supporting that. However, Cynthia and I have also noticed that you can purchase what's labeled as CBD oil from drugstores, from gas stations, and we wanna make sure that if you're going to try this product, that you have a really good, reliable source. Direct CBD Online provides natural alternatives to prescription painkillers and medications. They sell only the highest quality CBD oils, edibles, creams, and more to help you on your search for natural well-being. And they strive to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and the products and supplements that you use. If you've been thinking about trying CBD, and we know that you have, I highly encourage you to check out Direct CBD online. You can click the link in the description to learn more and get started today. And I think that that's an interesting point. So we're talking about the substances that are sugar and the different names for sugar. But I'm also curious about these natural substances. So can you talk a little bit about how natural things like tropical fruits or berries, how they influence us. And then also things like honey. Oh, you 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 went there, didn't you? you had, I did. You I know it. people are asking that you question. You had to do it. You had to open Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I get a lot of hate mail and the hate emails and stuff like this. 
and a lot of uh, disagreements, if you will. But I've been following the people that have been studying this. Um, the most famous or one of the most famous, a guy named Dr. Gary Fetke down in Australia, Tasmania. And he's got a great video on YouTube, uh, Is Fruit Good For You? So that, that'll, cut, that'll be a half hour explanation by an expert who will help you out. But here's the thing. Fructose, as we've mentioned, is the offending molecule, right? This is the one that's working on the brain reward system. So let's go back, uh, just let's go back 300 years, okay? Not even, not that long. In, in, the, in the space of human evolution, that's less than 30 seconds, okay? It's not very long. It's, you know, our bodies have evolved and the fruits have evolved, okay? So 300 years ago, an apple was like those little crab apples you eat you see in, in the wild, right? A banana you couldn't even eat because it was a seed pod basically, but it had enough and honey too. It was so rare in nature that there's no nothing in nature that has fructose in us that's poisonous. So we were attracted to it. And you know, the speculation is we were attracted to it so that we would eat the product, eat ingest the seeds and then disperse the seeds around. So it was very symbiotic. But for 300 years, we have been hybridizing fruit for, for what? For sweetness. And that's what the fructose is, is the sweet part, right? So now we have these gigantic fructose bombs, right? And that we're, the body doesn't know the difference between the fructose in a Coca-Cola or the fructose in uh, an apple or an orange, right? It just knows that it's getting fructose and the, that my brain and dopamine reward systems are being lit up, right? Forget about it if you drink like orange juice where you're hitting the liver all at the same time with no fiber to slow it down. Mm -hmm. You're getting the same buzz and forget completely about dried fruit. That's like almost all fructose, right? It's just no water, no nothing. It's just straight dried fruit. And so you have to go easy on the fruit. We just recommend during, even just during detoxes, just a few berries, which are lighter. Mm -hmm. It looks like about like a, a navel orange. Now this thing has no seeds. It, it cannot be replicated in nature, right? It has to be grafted. It has to be produced like a product, right? And it's very sweet and very delicious and no seeds to bother with, right? But the fructose hit to the liver is the same. And fructose for your folks is the thing that causes fatty liver, right? Fructose, because it has to be processed in the liver and fatty liver is the disease that alcoholics get. And we have a lot of fatty liver now in children, right? This never came up 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so I'm going to let your folks decide for themselves if, you know, our discussion about the brain chemical brain reward system and fructose, and then the body's reaction, because it can't be processed anywhere else in the body. Fructose has to be practiced in the liver. If fatty liver in children is enough of a warning signal, like a canary in the coal mine, as I mentioned before, that this might be a product that we might want to avoid or at least cut way back on. A lot of times in a, <laughs> I call it my methadone step down program. I'd rather have you eat a few berries as you come off of processed sugar and then see what your body does um, later, like 60 days from now, if you're still eating the berries and it's creating cravings, then you got to give up the berries too. I went fructose free and a lot of cool things happened to me. So it's a, uh, I think it's, you got to be healing up a little bit before you give up the fruit 100%. But I think during detox, you really have to cut way back so that you can tell the difference, you know? I think that's really important. And I'm curious, 
because this is a huge pain point for women and many of my patients and likely Kelly's as well. Um, how do you keep weight off after you do the sugar detox or a sugar detox? Like what is the best way to do that? Honestly, this is, I mean, you're going to think that I'm one of those other guys who like can say magic pills and potions and workouts. But if you completely are abstinent, I call it powder addiction, uh, flour and sugar um, and fructose as best you can a little bit. You don't even need to exercise. Your body will fall to a right size body for you. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. The indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some circumstances, up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I want to introduce you to a product by Air Doctor that has captured the attention of established media outlets like CNN, ABC, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that have the potential to go on and make us sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day, breathe-easy, money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorbro.com and use code CYNTHIA. You'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 in value. Look at the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Cynthia. I absolutely love my air filters. They're an integral component to ensuring that the air that my family breathes in our home is as safe as possible. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients. And it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. All the exercise you gotta do is go to the refrigerator, the store, and, and play with the kids. It will take time, but it happens almost all the time. You know, one of the things I find myself is a 12-step whisperer, okay? So for 40 years, people have been meeting in dusty church basements, um, and they have food plans that require no flour, no sugar. 
And the people that abstain and actually fall to that uh, or actually follow that food plan, those folks fall to a right-sized body. They do not need exercise. I mean, exercise for us, exercise is for your brain reward renewal. Okay. It's for, it's to be able to handle stress better. You feel better and you feel better because you've got some endorphins flowing. You've got some dopamine flowing. You've got these things um, happening. So exercise, not for calorie reduction, calorie burning calorie. It's for reprogramming your, your dopamine, your, your, um, neural pathways so that when you think about stress, right? So exercise or other thought processes around weight loss have nothing to do with it. And the answer to your question is, what do you, what do you do to keep it off? Nothing. You just abstain from the powders, abstain from the flour and the sugar, and you will fall. Not only will your mental health return, but your physical, there's a lot of new studies about mental health in this too, but your physical health will return and your body will fall to a right size body. I think that that's so eloquent in its simplicity, but we also know that what is simple isn't necessarily easy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, you know, the more you can realize the benefits beyond just weight, the easier it is to stick to it. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that's one of the things we like to quote unquote sell is uh, we sell the benefits and we call it the gift of 90 days, man. We've never had anybody get what I just, what we just described is 100% abstinent flour and sugar and low on fructose and like turn around and go back because their skin is better. They're losing weight. They're feeling better. They're sleeping less. They're sleeping better. Um, just so many, like a constellation of benefits has happened that they are, you know, they're just, now sometimes people will slip, right? And sometimes slips last a couple of months and in five or 10 pounds, but they will, if they've already, if they've experienced that 90 days, they'll get back eventually, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if that's the, you know, if you just, it's an experiment, we're all adults here, right? If I tell you not to eat broccoli for, 90 days or steak for 90 days. You, oh, I like steak. You know, they, you, you say, okay, and you do it. But when I, t- when you say sugar and flour, just this little experiment, this little scratch test, if you will, like the allergist gives you a little, little experiment on your body. They just, they can't do it because they're addicted. And I hate to be the, like, just so blunt about it, but it's so true. The reason they can't put it down and do the experiment just for a short period of time is because of everything we've discussed about the brain reward chemicals. Well, it's all about what triggers someone. And and clearly, if they've got an addiction, that triggers them. I always say ice cream seems to be the bugaboo for a lot of people. And I'm like, fat and sugar together is highly addictive. It is set up to be that way. So I'm curious, you know, Kelly and I have, we're all boy moms. Um, I am curious how you advise your clients to raise children in a no sugar or a sugar reduced environment? Because for me at the point that I'm at, Kelly's not there yet. I have a tween and a teen. Hmm. Boy, they go to other people's homes and they see all sorts of delicacies that perhaps we don't have here. Um, I think it's much easier when your kids are younger and they're still programmed to eat whatever you give them. Um, I'm just finding navigating the teen years has been a whole new world, but I'm curious what your tips are for your clients. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you broke it down perfectly. Uh, basically 
like we did, if you start in the womb or very, you know, just never give it to the child, I would actually would start in the womb. There's a lot of research that it passes the placenta barrier and, and that you're affecting the child. And, and, you know, that first thousand days is so important for brain development and a lot of other things. And more, you know, the brain, when I talk brain development, I'm talking about rewards. Like they, they, they're drawn to it when they're upset or whatever. Um, and a lot of, people parent that way. Like the kid, they don't have time to get down and give them a hug and see what's up, but they just stick a cookie in their mouth because they're busy, you know? So that behavior has to end, but, and it, we're totally hundred percent responsible for our kids' food from day, from, you know, the inception to day, you know, four or year four or five. And when they go off to school and stuff. And so I think that's part, but now the second part, which is most everyone, else except they're newly pregnant or going to get pregnant people is age you know the people kids have already had the sugar right they've already ingested they know what it's like uh, it was part of your culture and now you want to change and what i say first is what they say in the airlines is put your own o- oxygen mask on first okay kids are smart and they know exactly what's up they know if you've got a stash i always knew where my mother's stash was uh, they know what's that you know they know that you're doing what I do and don't do what I say kind of thing. Uh, they know what's going on. They, they're not uh, stupid and they watch you. And they, and at the end of the day, they want to be you. They want to be like you. And so I can say that you are 110% influencing your kid is you're open and transparent about it, that, you know, sugar's not good for you. Like they would ask to have a beer. You'd say, no, uh, you know, it's like, we don't think around here that children should drink beer or wine or anything or, you know, coffee. And uh, so you just, you're told open and transparent about it. And eventually I have a coach um, who she works for us and she, her child is nine. And now the child is like an advocate. They say, oh, we don't eat sugar at our house. It's not good for you, but it's, she's not hundred percent off it. Uh, you know, same thing. She'll go out to a birthday thing and then she'll come home. She, mommy, my tummy hurts and say, yeah, well, I think it's the sugar. And so she starts to put the, she starts to relate the two together. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and she, this woman's mother owned a bakery. So her grandmother is the sugar pusher in the, still to this day, won't accept their be, their beliefs and brings the granddaughter, the, the cookies and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, when they've already started it, you've got to do it. You've got to go first. And I'm not above or below or whatever you want to call it. I'm not, uh, I'll manipulate the parents first to say, look, if you do it, your kids will not suffer. And this is kind of effective for people that have a real heavy weight problem or they've had a sugar problem. So it's like, if you do it first and your kids will not suffer. And when they start to see this hurts your heart, it would, you know, it's what drives my work in a lot of ways. When you see, the largest, the fastest segment of obesity, growing segment of obesity is two to five-year-olds, right? And so when people see this or see their own children becoming uh, overweight and they understand that they can't put it down, it's really up to them. So yes, you got there's little things you got to do around the house and stuff, but it primarily starts with the adults. Absolutely, yeah. So we would love if you could boil down what you've said into two tips that you could give our listeners <laughs> to improve their health and wellness every day. Wow. You're, 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 you're getting on me there. Um, we like to challenge you. You are challenging. 
I think one tip covers it all, and 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 it's uh, a little not counterintuitive, but I think it's uh, thought provoking at least. Is like I, I mentioned it a little bit, but one of the things that I found in the work that we do is that um, in the in the folks that are attracted to the work that we do is that they are pioneers in their own right, in their own in their own lives. They're in athletics, in, in business, in career, in parenting, in religion and and church and whatever it is, they are not afraid to go against the grain, to go against the crowd. They, they have some internal mechanism and there's some research out there, the, the gifted adult and these kind of things that 15 to 15% of the population likes to see society move forward in a positive way. Um, But they are, they're pioneers in that way and that they, they just, they don't care what other people think. They're willing to do, they're willing to traverse their own path. They're willing to go out there and, and do their own research and test, use their own bodies as guinea pigs. I, I use my own children as guinea pigs, right? I didn't think there was any uh, doctors that would say it would be, that's a bad idea not to give your wife, have a wife have sugar and flour in the womb or caffeine. I didn't think they would tell me no, but I didn't ask either, you know? Uh, so you know, they need to do their own research and do their own work uh, around trying to find out what's healthy for them. And that there's so many, and this is this would probably be a, a, a kind of a dovetail, but the second tip, there are so many um, uh, diets and thought processes and pro, uh, weight watchers and points and, and you know, this carnivore, uh, paleo, keto thing versus vegetarian. It's like people, it's enough to drive anybody crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But the main thing is, is these processed foods, if you do your research on them, the sugar and the flour, and even the caffeine, we didn't mention caffeine, but the, if you do, you do your research on these things and you are that pioneer, if you just, I don't care if you're vegetarian or, or carnivore or keto or eat bugs. It doesn't matter to me. As long as you get off the processed food, your body will tell you what's up. You know, your body will tell. And that's kind of like a woo woo kind of softy science that people don't understand. They don't understand until they get off of sugar. Then they start to say, wow, I got this rash. That, you know, They start to understand what food does to them that it has an almost instant response to your body because you're so busy um, processing out the toxin you don't get to that part of it you know so the short answer which I made very long I'm sorry is uh think for yourself I mean do your own research be your own you'll have a nice so much for your wisdom and the work that you're doing where can our guests find you well it's sugaraddiction.com um it's uh you know we've got a right at the top of the page you've got a quiz if you think you're a sugar i always tell people if they think they made it themselves to sugaraddiction.com they don't have to take the quiz just (laughs) just get the book on the right hand side uh it's a free download uh, it's a book that's on Amazon that sells for nine ninety seven or something, and you know I have it on the site for free digital download. Now you can't get a paperback for free, but uh, you can get a digital download right at sugaraddiction.com or sugaraddiction.com forward slash book, and you can get the book and check it out and see if it resonates with you. And uh, yeah, I mean that's uh, 
probably the best way to get a hold. Is I do a Quit Sugar Summit. It's at quitsugarsummit.com every year. We have all the guys that I talk about, the Lustigs and the Tobs and all the famous sugar educators. And uh, so, yeah, they, you know, you can check that out too, but that's only once a year. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your, for your time this morning. And we're so grateful to have had you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Keep up the great work. I mean, again, I, I don't often uh, meet, uh, you know, kind of advanced uh, thinkers on the sugar topic. They're always, they're always a little stunned. 60% of my podcast guest visits are the guest or the host wanting to work on their sugar thing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's true amazing. story. <laughs> so thank you. thanks for listening to everyday wellness if you loved this episode please leave us a rating and review subscribe and remember tell a friend and if you want to connect with us online visit the link in the show notes